Let's pray. Father, open our hearts and by your word and spirit transform them for the sake of Jesus. Amen. Some of you will know that um, I have three children. Sorry, there we go. I have three children, twin boys and a younger boy. Uh, Twin boys are seven and Seth is four. And so I, I think I say this with some level of authority. Children are selfish. So, so selfish. Me, 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 I want all about me. Yes, it's all about me. So I'm, I'm glad that I'm now an adult. I've moved past that stage. Um, some of you may also feel similarly. Um, it's good to have grown up, um, no longer having to worry about um, uh, that constant inward sense of, you know, this is my right and, you know, my preference over and above others. It's good to grow up, isn't it? It's good to be adults, no longer children. Excellent, isn't it? Um, in a congregation uh, I uh, um, was at before uh, where I ministered, uh, there were many people for whom English was their second language and so from time to time I had to just make sure that people knew when I was being sarcastic. Um, so, so thankfully we are all in the same boat. Uh, but as we turn to Nehemiah chapter 5, we see that Nehemiah's life and character continue to be exemplary. He is a man who's selfless has such generous love. He's a man who serves the community. In Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 19, um, this is the last verse, he says, Remember me with favour, my God, for all I have done for these people. And he has. He's done much. He believes in a God who watches and sees and rewards. Remember me with favour, my God, for all I have done for these people. And so as we uh, are about to take a look at Nehemiah again in chapter 5, let's just remind ourselves of how we've gotten here and where we've come from. So we have had a series earlier this year called Breaking Up. We've looked at what it means for God's people to turn away from God, to exchange the glory of the living God for idols, for worthless things, to become worthless themselves. Injustice ensues. And um, so does judgment. Judgment ensues. God's judgment. Exile for God's people. Now taken to Babylon. A broken people. But we have moved into a series of building up. And we've seen signs of hope as we've looked at Ezra and Nehemiah. We've heard of the remnant that are coming back to Jerusalem. Zerubbabel, bringing the people, rebuilding the temple. Ezra, once again, gathering the people, centering their life around worship of the true living God. And Nehemiah, taking on the challenge of building the wall. That's his mission. He's cupbearer to the king, King Artaxerxes, the Persian king. But he's been allowed to go back and rebuild the wall. And we know that the rebuilding of the wall is more than a rebuilding of a wall. It's a rebuilding of a people. God's people. A people who can finally, once again, know who they are and can answer God's call. And God does have a call on his people. 
A couple of weeks ago, Chris Pryor, in speaking of Nehemiah's mission, asked us to consider our own place in our mission, God's call on our life here at St. Mark's. God does have a call on his people. And here you'll see it on your newsletter that our mission is to be an authentic expression of God's, excuse me, <clears throat> of God's transforming presence in Emerald and the Hills. To be an authentic expression of God's transforming presence in Emerald and the Hills. It might be assumed that, or I think it's safe to assume that God's transforming presence would naturally lead to a transformed life, that coming into the presence of a God such as the God we worship will lead to a transformed life. And what might that life look like? Well, I think it might look like a life of love for God and for community. The community of faith and the communities in which we find ourselves in. A transformed life is a life of love for God and for community. And again, our vision statement is to become a community of transformation. And what do we mean by that? Well, I think there's at least two ways we need to think about that. A community in which transformation is taking place. That God is transforming us. We are being grown up, matured, transformed. That transformation is taking place in us. A community in which transformation is taking place and a community through which transformation is taking place. So we are transformed in order to become vessels through which God's transforming presence goes out through us to our wider communities, to the communities of which we're a part. So we are a community of transformation in at least those two ways. A community in which transformation is taking place in us and through us. How else might we think about this idea of transformation? Well, our series is called Building Up. Transformation is about the building up of God's people, the spiritual renewal and growth of God's people, which reveals itself in a life of love for God and for community. God works with us and through us to build up his people. These next words are supposed to weigh heavy. We are all builders. Nehemiah is mustering and gathering the people and they are all setting to work to rebuild this wall. We are here all as builders. This may weigh even a little bit heavier. It's supposed to. Our efforts are either contributing to or hindering this work of building up. Our efforts are either contributing to or hindering this work of building up. As we reflect more on this word, I hope that this weight is also lifted off you. Now with that heavy burden on you, let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 5. In verse 1, the scene is set. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. 
again we find opposition to the work of building up. Our spiritual renewal and growth. There is opposition. Last week, Andrew identified the resistance from outside us. Forces that oppose God's kingdom. Whether that be people, worldly systems or powers or the devil himself. There are forces outside of ourselves that oppose God's kingdom. Oppose the building up of God's people. Now, if, it, if that wasn't enough, we're about to now see that there is resistance or opposition from within. We hear the outcry and the accusations. In verse 2, we see that poverty is a real issue at the moment. They were saying that we, we, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. They have stopped their regular jobs and this is a two-month project and now they're feeling the pinch of it we we need to go and get grain we we can't keep going like this poverty is a real issue in the community others were saying we are mortgaging our fields our vineyards our homes to get grain during the famine there's a famine going on And how will the community respond? Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. I wonder if Nehemiah feels the pinch of that. He's cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, the Persian king. And God's people are a vassal, subordinate to the Persian empire. They pay taxes to the king. Still others were saying, no, I said that, <laughs> and then in verse 5, Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Children sold as slaves. Verse 6, interest on loans. I'm going to read to you some verses from Leviticus, and hopefully you'll see very quickly why I'm reading them. So Leviticus chapter 25. These are commandments given to God's people. Leviticus 25, 35 to 43. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and stranger so that they can continue to live among you. Do not take interest or any profit from them, but fear your God so that they may continue to live among you. You must not lend them money at interest or sell them food at a profit. Again, if any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves. They are to be treated as hired, hired workers or temporary residents among you. They are to work for you until the year of Jubilee. Every 50th year, slaves would be released. Um, if property had been bought, that would be given back to its original owners. Then they and their children are to be released and they will go back to their own clans and to the property of their ancestors. Do not rule over them ruthlessly, but fear your God. So it's no wonder that Nehemiah, when he hears this outcry and these charges, it says, I was very angry. 
God's people, the standard for God's people is a high ethic, one that was supposed to set them apart from the nations around them. Their life was supposed to be noticeably different. But hey, there's a lot of commandments to remember. We can't remember all of them. Of course, Jesus seemed to think we could sum them up in two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. Why do people act with greed and selfishness? Why do we? Why do people think of themselves as better than others? Do we? Why do people think they can abuse or exploit others? Do we? Why can't we truly love our neighbour as ourself? What's the answer to all the social injustice that ensues from this inability to love neighbour as self? What's the answer? Well, to have credibility to suggest a remedy or solution to a problem, one must first correctly diagnose the heart of the issue. If you misdiagnose the solution and remedy, uh, will miss. And there are many who would offer solutions to the social ills we face. Let's weed out the bad ones, lock them away. Educate, that's, that's, that's one of the best ones. Educate, we just need to educate people. We just educate people. Great danger for a preacher, you go off to theological college, if I just teach right doctrine, educate the people, it'll all be okay. I think Jesus diagnosed, diagnoses it correctly in the Gospels. In Mark chapter 7, he says, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart. So the heart of the issue is the heart. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly... All these evils come from inside and defile a person. So this corruption, this opposition from within, it's not about fellow Jews within the community. It's about our own hearts. It's about the opposition that we face from our own hearts. Thomas Cramner, the great English reformer, he said, what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. We'd like to think that the way that we live and the decisions we make are based on you know, logic and reason, and we've thought this through, and this is why I do what I do and believe what I believe and act as I do. Cramner says, actually... Your heart, whatever your heart loves, the will chooses, and then your mind justifies what you're doing. I've seen that time and time again in my own life. Or you're in an argument with your spouse and 
The mind justifies. So what do hearts do? Well, the hearts have loves. The hearts, our hearts have affections, things they attach themselves to. And it's not actually uh, an issue that we have loves or affections, and many of them. The real issue, oh, sometimes some of these loves and affections are very amiss, but the real issue is the disorder of them. It's okay that you love football, just probably not more than your spouse. It's okay that you love pizza, walking in the park, good food. Just don't love these things more than God. It's, it's that there's a disorder in our affections, a disorder in our loves. Our hearts orientate themselves around things. They, they focus or give their attention to that which it loves. What is the orientation of Nehemiah's heart? In Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 9, in speaking to these fellow Jews who are mistreating um, others in the community or taking advantage of them, he says... What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the, the reproach of our Gentile enemies? And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, it does say that they were supposed to be seen by other nations, that other nations would look at them and go, what a wise and discerning people. What other people have a God so near to them? Jesus says that by the way that we love each other, others will know who we are, followers of him. To avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies, walk in the fear of our God. In Nehemiah 5.15, But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Out of reverence for God, in the Hebrew, it's the same uh, fear of God. But, but you can already see that the, this idea of fear of God or the fear of the Lord is not just this idea of being terrified. It's an idea of reverence. It's an idea of awe. Sometimes it's translated as worship. Uh, the New Testament equivalent, uh, so if the Old Testament has this uh, significant theme of the fear of the Lord, the New Testament equivalent would be love of God, love of the Lord. Uh, love, fear, it's what our attention and our focus goes to, reverence, or worship, love. Nehemiah has orientated his heart towards a love for God. And in this, Nehemiah expresses the best kind of self-love we can have. And that is to say that self-love in and of itself is okay. I think actually we're wired that way. I think we're wired to notice when we're hungry and want to eat. I think we're wired, if I were to define self-love as acting in a way 
that uh, acting in ways that we believe to be in our best interest. Self-love, acting in ways that we believe to be in our best interest. Now, some of those ways may not be actually right, but it's what we believe to be in our best interest. So everybody's operating with some sort of self-love. But this is the best kind of self-love we can have when we orientate our hearts towards a love for God. Let me explain why. Because you see, the moment we're commanded to love our neighbour as ourself, sometimes I don't think we realise how high an ethic that is. Because not only must I love my neighbour in the same way that I love myself, so if I like and enjoy shelter or food, or I enjoy or, or desire my children to have a good education, then not only do I have to want that for another, for my neighbour, but with the same energy, with the same time, with the same creativity, with the same endurance that I pursue these things that I want for myself, it's with that same time, with that same endurance, with that same passion, with that same creativity, I'm supposed to desire this and pursue this for my neighbour. Love your neighbour as yourself. It's an extremely high standard. And the moment we see it like that, there's a real threat to my own self-love. Because if I try to love my neighbour like that, I might miss out. I was at a retreat once and there was this poster and had the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, or love your neighbour as yourself. And then it had all the other world religions have similar versions of that. And I thought, okay, that's nice. But I actually think that it's the first commandment that upholds, sustains and enables the second commandment. I think it's the first commandment that upholds, sustains and enables the second commandment. This is what I discover. These are the things I discover when I attempt to love God. When I attempt to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind and with all my strength, I discover these things. Firstly, I discover my inability to love God perfectly. Secondly, I discover God's love for me despite my inability to love him perfectly. So firstly, I discover my inability to love God perfectly. Then I discover God's love for me despite my inability to love him perfectly. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while I was even God's enemy, Christ died for us. So I see God's love for me in my, even in my inability to love him. Thirdly, I find my heart filled and captivated by God's love for me in Jesus. That here I am, unable to love God as he, he is worthy of. And, and not, not only trying to love God, when I'm not trying to love God, when I'm his enemy, when I'm acting in ways that make me his enemy, yet God loves me. In that moment, I find my heart filled and captivated by God's love for me in Jesus. God loves me in that moment, at my worst. My heart is filled and I'm captivated by God's love for me in Jesus. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then finally, I find a love for God and for others that overflows from God's love for me. See, in the moment when I'm at my worst, God loves me 
and I see that love in all its brilliance, I'm satisfied. My self-love is appeased. And in that moment, I find a love for God and for others that overflows from God's love for me. The first commandment upholds, sustains and enables the second commandment. We are called to a life of transformation, loving God and our community. But this is going to require a heart transformation. And that heart is transformed when we see God's love for us in Christ. In the presence of God, as we come before him in worship, our hearts are transformed. We need to cultivate a love for God. We need to draw near to him. And so if we put it in that order, cultivate a love for God where true joy is to be found, this will enable a heart transformation and this will bring forth a life of transformation, loving God and our community. I'm going to pray a prayer from the Anglican Prayer Book. And I'll close. O God, you alone can order our unruly wills and affections. Teach us to love what you command and to desire what you promise. That among the changes and chances of this world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.